We are in message two in our series called Fresh Wind. Fresh Wind. And uh, you may have heard me mention before that one of the, one of the prophetic words that came forward um, for us probably three or four, I'd say more like four years ago, uh, was very simple. It was get ready, get ready, get ready. Right, Suzanne? Get ready, get ready, get ready. And as, as we heard that from the Lord, we sensed that it wasn't just, you know, sometimes we say, get ready, you know, brace yourself. But it's not just a brace yourself, get ready, but it's a prepare yourself, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready. How many of you have heard the, the term doldrums? You familiar with that phrase, that word, doldrums? Oh man, I got my work cut out for me today. The doldrums. Um, so, so we use this word uh, both in, a, in an emotional capacity, but also in a, in a physical capacity in, in, uh, in the physical world. So, so when we say someone has the doldrums, we mean that they, they, have the, they have the blahs, kind of, right? They have the doldrums. They have the blahs. Um, they're, they're, they're in a state or a season of being unmotivated, of being stuck emotionally. Uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary uses the, the, the words listless and despondent to describe the doldrums, okay? Blah. Some of us might say that that's, you know, a good description of our spiritual lives at times. Maybe it's been weeks or months since you've stepped out and shared your faith with someone. Maybe the zip and the passion that you've had in the past seems to be missing. Maybe it's been uh, so long since you've prayed with someone for healing or for a miracle that you, you wouldn't even know where to start to do that. The doldrums, the word doldrums comes from an, an old nautical term. And it refers to a region near the equator where sometimes in the right conditions, the prevailing winds just stop blowing. Right? And so like 200 years ago, when ships were entirely dependent on air power, wind power, that's not good. Right? And there are stories of crews on ships that were stuck for weeks in the doldrums with seas as still as glass, no wind to propel them. And they knew that there was no point in pulling out oars and trying to you know, paddle because, you know, they would just exhaust themselves and they, they were so far from land they wouldn't make any, you know, in their own effort they would make no progress. And the only thing that the crew could do, you can imagine, 
the, the watchfulness, the desperate anticipation for even just a hint of a breeze letting them know that the winds had returned. Right? The only thing that they could do is to make sure that they were positioned and ready to catch the wind to carry them along when it came. So we want to talk today about positioning ourselves, preparing ourselves, get ready, get ready, get ready. What is it that we need to do in our own lives to prepare ourselves for the fresh wind of God as it begins to blow? What can we do to prepare ourselves? I want to start this morning by saying that uh, our first point today is that repentance is key. Repentance, humility and repentance is always key to preparing ourselves for the next thing God wants to do. It is always key. We want to start this morning in uh, Isaiah chapter 59, if you're following along. Isaiah chapter 59, and the context of this chapter is repentance, okay? It is repentance. And, and the language at the beginning of this chapter starts with you language, okay? Isaiah is speaking as a prophet of God to the, to the nation and he's using you language. Starts by saying this. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. But in verse 9 of this chapter, things take a turn. And Isaiah, instead of using you language, begins to use we language. He begins to speak of how we need to repent. This is consistent with what we see in Isaiah's life. In Isaiah chapter 6, when he has that amazing vision of God's glory and presence in the temple, right? And his response, when he sees the glory of God, his response is, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Right? Now, Isaiah was, I don't know, maybe, probably, one of the holiest guys in the nation. He's the one getting the vision of God's glory. Why is he saying, woe is me, I am undone? Right? I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. But Isaiah recognized, first of all, in the presence of a holy God, none of us is holy. 
All of us need humility and repentance. And secondly, in the presence of a, of a, of a, a culture and a world tainted and stained and messed up with sin, none of us goes untouched. We are all stained with the sin of our culture. Isaiah could have said, you know, what are you looking at me for? I didn't do anything. But rather than being quick to defend himself, he was quick to surrender himself. Quick to confess his weakness, quick to identify himself with the evil of the culture around him and recognize that he had not gone, gone untainted. We are, we are often in the church quick to use you language as it did at the beginning of the chapter, right? In judging our culture and in acting as if we are unconnected to the evil around us. But we can be deceived by that attitude. First, you know, having, having the pride to presume to sit in the judge's seat and point at everyone else and having the defensiveness to try and make our hearts off limits to the probing of God's spirit are two quick ways to shut down God's work in our lives. The opposite of that, having a heart that is quick to confess, quick to surrender, quick to humble ourselves and repent, not only of our own wickedness, but for that of our nation, opens the doors to God's work in our lives. Repentance is a scary word for some. When we hear about being called to repentance... We have an image of groveling, beating ourselves up for how terrible and how bad we are. But biblical repentance is simply, first, a recognition of all of our unworthiness before a holy God. And secondly, responding in our unworthiness, not by groveling, and also not by defending ourselves, but by surrendering to God and His ways in our hearts. God, have your way in me. Change me. Isaiah 59 ends with these words. From the west, people will hear the name of the Lord and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. Where does, where does the sun rise? In the east, right? So from the west, from the east. This poetic way of saying from the west, and from the east. Everywhere, right? From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord. And from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. Wow, those are powerful words, aren't they? For he will come 
like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. Those who have a repentant heart, they are God's target to bring His wind. Say that, I'll read that again. The Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, with the repentant ones, says the Lord. My spirit who is in you will not depart from you, and the words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever. That's the fruit of repentance, folks. Second thing this morning, how do we prepare ourselves? Expectant prayer. Acts 1 verse 14, Jesus has just ascended into glory, gave the disciples instructions to wait in Jerusalem until they've been clothed with power from on high. He gave them a mission, but then he said, don't do anything. Stay here. Stay put. The Father is going to send what he promised, but don't do anything until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts 1 verse 14, it says, they all, the core of Jesus' disciples, they all joined together. Now, the NIV does a terrible job translating that word because um, it's much more than together. In the, the King James and New King James, it says, in one accord. Okay, we'll get to that. We'll come back to that word in a few minutes. Uh, a few moments, but uh, they all joined together in one accord, in unity. They all joined together constantly, or the word literally means diligently devoting their attention in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they were, they, they, they not only stayed in Jerusalem, but they stayed together there was a sense of unity among them. We'll come back to that. And, and there was this, this word, diligently devoting their attention in prayer. Why were they so persistent, so focused, and so unified? They were waiting for 10 days. 10 days for the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus told them to wait for as he left. They had a promise. They knew it was going to be fulfilled, and they knew that they needed it in order to carry out the mission that Jesus had sent them. But 10 days, in the same room, with the same people, can get old really fast. Think Christmas dinner with your family. Right? Within 36 hours, somebody's snapping and losing it. Right? 
ten days. But the mission was so central, and the promise was so unquestioned, and their eager expectation was so wavering that they hung in there with one another for ten days, praying, waiting, anticipating, and expecting what God had promised. You can trace every major move of the Spirit of God in history to someone or some group of people who were waiting patiently with determined expectation for the promise of God's empowerment for the mission. Unity. Acts 2, verse 1 says, again, now they were all together. Here's that word again. Terribly under under, um, translated. The the word is homothumadon. Sounds like a big dinosaur, doesn't it? Homothumadon. Homothumadon. But it, it means the same heart, the same passion, the same mind, the same focus. Homothumadon. What was it that unified these people? What was it that unified these people? Well, it was Jesus, right? It was Jesus. They were, they were focused on Him. They were focused on the life and the ministry of Jesus. They were focused on carrying on His work in the world. They didn't necessarily have the same views, beliefs, or focus on everything. In fact, we know they didn't. They were a ragtag group of people who were, I mean, Jesus followers, you had Bible scholars to freedom fighters to Roman sympathizers. You've got people all over the spectrum in their views on everything else. But when it came to what they thought was truly going to change the world, they knew that only the message of God's love and forgiveness and hope in his kingdom that was found in the gospel message would change the world. Only that message would change the world. And not only good talks about it, not only nice sermons, but the demonstration of the reality of the kingdom by supernatural ministry, like Jesus had done. Another reason they were so determined to wait for the Spirit's power is they knew that the message couldn't just be taught. It must be shown. And it could only be shown by the same power that fueled Jesus' ministry. Power of the Spirit. So what was it that unified them? In a word, the mission. I guess that's two words. Mission. 
in a word, mission. The Holy Spirit was not given to us, was not poured out on the day of Pentecost so we could have more exciting church services. Although that's amazing, sure. But that was not why the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Wasn't given so we could speak in tongues. Although, if we're baptized in the Spirit, we get to do that. The Spirit was poured out on the church so that we would have the power to do what Jesus was doing. In Matthew 10, verses 7 to 8, Jesus sent out his disciples to go do ministry without him. Gave them some instructions. Go out to the towns around, and here's what you're to do, he says. Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Right? Go do that stuff. Then people will know that the kingdom of God is here. Right? And so they were united. Nothing will destroy the work of the Spirit more quickly than disunity. Division in the body. And we all need to be guardians of the unity of the Spirit. I often hear people talk about encounters they have where people have been gossiping, grumbling in the corners with people who aren't happy with this, aren't happy with that. Those behaviors will destroy the work of God more than anything that, that they're grumbling about. And if we really wanted those things to change, we'd stop talking to each other about them and talk to someone who could do something about it. But instead, we become a tool of Satan to destroy what God wants to do. And I want to challenge you, if someone wants to have a divisive conversation with you, just say, no thanks. I don't want to participate in sowing disunity in the body of Christ. All right, fourthly and finally this morning, new wineskin. Matthew 9, verse 14 to 17, says this. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, 
Who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old wineskins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. I don't want to get too much into the weeds in this. But he's talking about a with this these new wineskins. He's talking about a, a pro, excuse me, a, a chemical process that's taking place as the as the grape juice ferments into wine, right? And that putting putting the, the new wine into wineskin new wineskins that are stretch stretchy, right? Um, and and uh, and allowing that process of fermentation to happen where, where the, the wineskins can stretch, right? So that's the, that's the process he's talking about. But here's the point that he's making. The biggest critics of the current move of God is almost always the ones who participated in the last move of God. Here are John the Baptist's disciples criticizing Jesus' ministry and his team because it doesn't look like how they did ministry. Right? Jesus' response is that every move of God will come in a fresh container. It won't look like the last move of God did. And if we try to tame it and make it look like the last thing that we knew, then it will ruin it and everyone will lose out. Now notice, it's a new wineskin. It's not a tuba. Right? It, it's, it's still similar. It's still, it still looks kind of the same, but it's going to look different. It's going to be different. Right? There will be there so so for example, in a in a previous generation, in fact in I would say uh, going back twenty five, forty plus years ago. Um, our, our movement, Pentecostal churches, almost all of them across the board had evening services, right? Um, and, and those were, they were often called evangelistic services. Because it was a pretty common thing in those days for people to go to church to be invited to church, to be easily, you know, to be curious about church. And so the most common way that people encountered the power of the Spirit of God would be on a Sunday night when God was doing something powerful in the room and people would invite their friends who needed to have an encounter with the Spirit of God and this is where it would happen. 
right? And most churches, most Pentecostal churches across our nation have stopped having evening services because partially because they lost their they lost their purpose. They became kind of a copy of Sunday morning and we just kind of do the same thing again, right? But also because of a sociological shift. Because the world stopped getting curious about church. They stopped caring about what we're doing. They stopped showing up to say, hey, what's going on? What's going on over at Evangel tonight, right? And I would suggest to you that um, I'm not against Sunday. I, I loved Sunday evening services, and I would be totally, if, if they had a purpose and the, and the power of God was doing something powerful, I, I would be totally open to them again. I'm not, I'm not against Sunday evening services, but hear me. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that it was a, a bad thing that they died. Because... I believe in this season, in this move of God, the place where people will have the most encounters with the Spirit of God and the power of God will be out there. And as long as we're stuck in a mode saying it's got to happen here, and it will happen here, but as long as we're stuck in a mode saying this is where the Spirit of God moves, we're never going to take it out there. And see God do out there what he wants to do. I believe in this season of the church. It's not about, and, and folks, we're asking you to invite people Sunday to Easter Sunday. I'm not against inviting people to church. We need to invite people to church. But in this season, it's not as much about come to our thing so you can encounter God. It's about Let's be the thing and carry the presence and power of God into people's lives. It's less about God send them in and God saying, go get them. Different container. In Mount... Here's, here's a couple, we're almost done. In fact, uh, Pastor Graham, you can come on up. Um, we, just did, we just finished before this series a series on Malachi, right? Remember? You didn't lose it already, did you? You, you remember we did that? The last two verses of the book of Malachi, I didn't have time to get to. So I'm looping back. All right? Listen to what it says. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. What is that about? Right? I don't necessarily know what it's all about, but here's some of what I think it's about. The generational tug of war in the church is nothing new. 
It has happened all through church history. It has happened as we move from one movement of God to the next movement of God, as, as we've talked about. The ebb and flow of the moves of God have caused, consistently caused generational tension. But what would happen if the generation who's been there, done that, seen it all, and the generation of new believers who only know what they've experienced could get on the same page, humble themselves, repent, watch in expectant prayer, and in unity together around the mission of God's kingdom, look for the new wineskin of what God wants to do in the world right now, drawing on both aged, aged wisdom and youthful zeal, that these two generations would come together with one heart and wait for what God is going to do now. What would happen? Let's stand. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. I want to pray. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for us. And then once, once I pray, I want to encourage you. Let's, we, don't, we don't have to rush out of here this morning. Let's take a few moments. Maybe some of you need to respond to what God is saying with humility and repentance. You need to come before God and just say, God, I've sat in the judge's seat. I've, I've been in self-defense mode. The reality is I need you more than anyone else. I want to humble myself and repent. Maybe some of us need to be challenged about consistent, expectant prayer. I want you to know we've been having some really great times of prayer on Sunday nights. Powerful times of prayer. Unfortunately, with the snow, we're, we don't want anybody to, to, to risk, uh, you know, their safety tonight to come out. But, uh, but we, I encourage you to... to Come check out our Sunday evening prayers, prayer time. But just in your own life, expectant prayer. Maybe there's some area where you uh, are not helping the unity of the body. Maybe you've had some of those divisive conversations and you need to say, you need to confess it to the Lord. Maybe you're not as focused on the mission as you could be. Because that's what unifies us. Maybe you've been resistant to new wineskins and you just need to say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm not going to stand in your way. Come do it, Lord. 
So Father, this morning, I thank you for your patience with us, your love for us. God, we don't want to sit in the doldrums for another moment. We need the wind of your spirit to blow in our lives, not just so we have awesome church services, but God, so that, so that you can mobilize us into the world with the power of the spirit to do the works of God. See the sick healed, the dead raised, demons cast out, and see the kingdom come. So God, we confess before you this morning. As a church, we confess our pride sometimes to believe that we can do anything in ourselves. Our, our need for you our prayerlessness at times, our div divisiveness. God, come do your new thing. We ask it in Jesus' powerful name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for speaking the heart of God to us again this morning. And thank you for coming out to Evangel. Here at Evangel, we believe that he is a God that truly hears and answers prayer. If you have a need in your life today, we, we would encourage you to come forward. And the Breakthrough uh, Ministry team will pray for you. As already announced, there won't be a service, prayer service tonight. God bless you and have a great day. of heaven pour your 